since my lover left me I found a new place to dwell It's down at the end of Lonely Street At Heartbreak Hotel Where you can be, where you can be lonely, darling Where you can be lonely You'll be so lonely you could die Although it's always crowded Still you can find some room For broken-hearted lovers To crowd there in the gloom And be so, and be so lonely, darling You can be lonely You'll be so lonely You could die Bell hops, tears are flowing Dead clocks dressed in black Been so long on Lonely Street They never will want to go back Where they can be Where they can be lonely, darling Where they can be lonely They'll be so lonely They could die Just take a walk down Lonely Street to Heartbreak Hotel Where you can be, where you can be lonely, darling You'll be able to be lonely You'll be so lonely you could die Welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was Martin Caffey and Heartbreak Hotel, one of his key influences that we'll be exploring in today's show with Martin. Martin is one of the most influential folk artists of all time and an influence on the likes of Bob Dylan and Paul Simon, again, which we'll be hearing today. So let's hear my chat with Martin. Thank you for doing this, Martin. It's much appreciated. Pleasure. So the main reason is because you've got an upcoming tour with uh, John Wilkes. And uh, so what's the background behind setting that up and the idea behind that? It's, I've read that it's a mix of music and conversation. Yes, that's the idea. And John will sing a bit and I will sing a bit more, inviting people to ask questions. I've just done a whole, most of the list that John's been sent. And it's uh, it's very interesting sometimes that the... Uh, the questions that people ask. It'd be great to uh, cover almost a chronological look at your music and background, starting off towards the beginning. I, I know that you've done, uh, about 20 years ago, you did your own version of Heartbreak Hotel, and that was one of a, a number of songs that was really influential for you, wasn't it? 
I did Heartbreak Hotel because it was it was one of the, it was I bought three records on the first day, on one day. That's how I remember it. But Rock Around the Clock, I bought Rock Rock Island Line, and I bought Heartbreak Hotel. Rock Around the Clock. I never learned the words because it's, 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 it's a stupid song, but it's great fun. It's for dancing to. I could I could never do Rock Island Line. Ever I could never do that. But the energy behind it was what made me go and pick up a guitar. There were skiffle groups at school. I wasn't I wasn't in a skiffle group. I, got, I couldn't could hardly play. But we had a guitar in the house. My dad had a guitar. Um, he had a guitar and a fiddle. And I was just in, I was in love with the guitar. So I would occasionally take my guitar to school and I was, I was hopeless. <laughs> remember Mick Bunn could play in A. I can't remember now whether it was A or E. It might have been A. So I learned how to play in, that, in those keys from him. And that's where I first heard a song called Worried Man, Worried Man Blues, which is where I first ran into Woody Guthrie. But it didn't really knock me sideways until I found out that he'd written one or two of the songs that Lonnie sang. But Heartbreak Hotel was the only song of those three that I actually learned because it was the only proper song in it. I heard, heard Elvis do it and I just was completely knocked out by it. What a great, what a great song, what a wonderful song. And I only wanted to record it when I discovered that the song was actually written by a woman. Oh. You didn't know that. And there's a lot of people who don't know that. They just assume it's Elvis. I'm quite sure that, though I'm not going to swear by it, that the name of the author was missed off the credits. Right. And the author was the mother of a guy who could never, nobody could decide whether he was a country singer or a folk singer. Her name was Mayborn Axton, and she was the mother of a guy called Hoyt Axton, H-O-Y-T, Hoyt Axton. He was featured on the cover of Sing Out, which is the American folk magazine. He was featured on that once, and he never really took to folkies by the sound of it. And he was a bit too weird sometimes for, 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 for country singers. I mean, he did okay. But I heard him a couple of times and I was absolutely knocked sideways by him. And then finding out that his mum had written Heartbreak Hotel, I was totally blown away. And I used to, I used to sing the first couple of verses of Heartbreak Hotel on sound checks when I was on the road with Dave. And Dave used to say, you should sing that. You know, it's good what you're doing with that. It's good. And um, I sort of got, I gave it a shot and I listened to it now and I think, now it's not really your barra, but, um, you know, it was a nice try. <laughs> but it was in honour of the fact that I could actually write on the piece of, uh, in the notes that it was written by a woman because so many people didn't know. And it was uh, the, 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 the occasion of her not knowing was in line with the way royalties were divided up in those high and far off times, because often the real writer was cut out of the was cut out of the scene altogether. I have a feeling that something like that was happening to uh, Maybor and Axton. I don't know that though for certain. And the whole notion of the architects of rock and roll was being passed down the line to the to white people, including Elvis, who was a good singer, is a good singer, 
when he chooses to be. Richard Thompson has recordings of him singing where you actually realise that with all the screaming and yelling going on, when he's singing, he sings perfectly in tune. <laughs> and that takes some doing. He's a musician. It's interesting that in a similar period, but this time with Watts and Carfee, just over 20 years ago, that you recorded a version of Lofty Tall Ship, and it was Sam Lana, influential for you in terms of hearing the British folk music. Oh, yeah. I've been invited to go along with this guy, Roy Guest, who was a, uh, as an occasional singer and folk music promoter, and sometimes did some, did some good work, and other times, yeah. He'd invited himself onto the bill of this, the Ballads and Blues, which was at that time run by Ewan McCall. We're talking about the late 1950s. And th this guy, Roy Guest, invited me to go along. I think he expected, he wanted me to go along to feel the left hook that, uh, that was going to arrive from Ewan McCall, who had a, had a reputation for being a bad-tempered bugger. But if he was, he managed to manage to, to keep it well, well hidden because Roy went along and sang and, uh, and the left hook never appeared. He just basically realised that he was being had and he just brushed it to one side and presented an evening of Sam Lana. And he didn't sing, Ewan did not sing once. Oh. He loved what Sam Lana did and he wasn't going to let anything get in the way of it. He was extraordinary. And he just handed the whole evening over to Sam. And I mean, Roy left the place and I left. Uh, I just went, to, went along with, with what was going on that night and was totally blown away by what I, I would describe as the real thing. Ewan choreographed the evening quite brilliantly because he had, had him sing that Lofty Tall Ship song as the last song of the evening, which was musically a total revelation to me. You know, if, if, if I ever, ever believed, which I probably did at some, some time during those uh, simple times, it's the English folk music, I'll understand that, I'm English. And what was sung at the end when he sang Lofty Tall Ship was something I'd never heard anything like it. That's English folk music. I, I knew, because my, my sense of pitch, pitch was pretty good, I knew that he kept landing on dough to finish, you know, he's singing, a, he's singing proper music and he's, it might be weird, but it's just that you've never heard anything like this. And why would you have done a retired herring fisherman singing songs that he had sung all over, walked away walking on air and having, and, and thinking, well, what kind of a tune is that? When he had sung, that's his last song, Lofty Tall Ship, his version of Henry Martin. I knew this is this is the real deal, and if, if this is what you want to do, you better start getting into it because this is this is a lesson to learn. And that's when I decided that that's exactly what I was going to do, and learn all I could about it. And I discovered on the way that, of course, I wanted to play the guitar because I'd fallen in love with the instrument, and I wouldn't do these songs and insult them until I could play them. As we were gone sailing, five cold frosty nights, five cold frosty nights and four days, before we did spy their lofty tall ship. 
bit of a thread of our conversation which is you picking up songs and and your craft from other artists and you also had an influence and one of those is Bob Dylan you met each other and there's a few of his songs that seem to have an influence from material that you were playing in that that period wasn't there I'm not sure whether it was 61 or 62 when we met but it was over over Christmas and it was a very very cold Christmas 
And he came over to, to do a play, which was called Madhouse on Castle Street. And it was an astonishing play. I mean, he went to the first read-through and they gave him the script and he said, I can't do this. So they had to engage a proper actor, David Warner. And it was a cast of people who all shared one house. The madhouse on Castle Street was Britain in disguise. Castle Street is Britain. So Dylan came over in, in 62. Oh, yeah, he came over and um, he, he was uh, being shepherded by, by his manager. It was this guy, uh, Albert Grossman. When he came to Britain with any person, he would take them around the folk clubs. He came over with Odetta and brought her around the folk clubs. One of the things Albert Grossman liked was singing himself, and he was, uh, he was no mean singer, apparently. But met, met up with Bob, and I'd a few weeks, not that many weeks before actually meeting him, had seen his picture on the front of Sing Out. And they were talking about this man who was the true, was a disciple of Woody Guthrie and was, uh, was, was the inheritor of his mantle, if you like. And that's how Sing Out sold him. Bob soon broke away from that and just changed everything. The night I met him was at the King and Queen, which was right next door to the old Middlesex Hospital, just around the corner from Googe Street Tube Station. And I was standing up and singing a song. I was with there with, with, with the Thamesiders. It was a Friday night at the King and Queen, which is still running as a folk club. I looked up as I was singing the song and I saw, I saw Bob Dylan sitting in front of me. I saw you know, the, the cover of Sing Out. So I finished the song and I went across and I said, uh, do you want to sing a song? And he looked up at me and he said, ask me later. So I went back, sang another song, and, and the Thames side sang, sang some more. We had an interval. In the interval, he had gone, but he'd gone to get a guitar, which was downstairs, that was in, locked in a car or something. And he was sitting there with the guitar, and I said, for a scene? And he said, yep. And he got up, and he sang three songs and blew the audience away. He sang a talking blues about uh, the problems that were going on with the House Un-American Activities Committee. And basically, you know, there were reds under the beds everywhere. And he sang one where the reds were actually sitting under the toilet seat, <laughs> trying to bite your bum all the time. And he just sang three songs and blew the place apart. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, the, 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 if you invited someone up to sing, they could sing up to three songs. And he sang three songs that were entirely different came down to the Troubadour the next night and sang three songs there. And he never repeated himself once. At some point, he sang Blowing in the Wind. He didn't repeat that. He sang, it wasn't San Francisco Bay, but it was one of those slight, slight ragtimey things that uh, were in the repertoire of some singers and in the, definitely in the repertoire of a lot of uh, American singers. And um, yeah, Bob would come down to the Troubadour. After the, the evening was over at the King and Queen that particular night, he came back to mine and my then wife's flat. It was one room, one enormous room. And we all just chatted and drank tea and stuff like that and made a fire. And then he, he jumped in a taxi and went back to his hotel. There's this idea that he, he stayed, stayed at my house. Well, he didn't, no. I had a big room. Five quid a week. <laughs> Brilliant place. Lovely, I loved it. And there's quite a few of his songs that have a direct influence from yourself, and in particular, your version of Lord Franklin influenced Bob Dylan's dream. 
Well, he loved the song. He always used to ask for Lord Franklin. And he, he just, he wrote this Bob Dylan's dream song around that. He just loved it. He always asked me to sing the song. And the other one, he always asked me to sing the Scarborough Fair. And he wrote a very nice song around that too. He really did. He wanted to do Scarborough, Scarborough Fair itself. And uh, he had this particular guitar figure in it that uh, he was playing with a flat pick. And he came back at one point because there, there was a problem with the recording of, of, the, of the player. They had to, do, had to start again. He went on a small holiday somewhere or other, either Portugal or Italy. It might have been Italy, but I got somewhere from there. But then he came back and he tried to play Scarborough Fair with a flat pick and then he burst out laughing after half a verse and said, I can't do this, no. <laughs> and went away and, and wrote uh, his girl from the North Country. Yeah. It's got the line. Okay. It's a lovely song. He just wrote nice songs around songs that he heard everybody sing. He heard Bob, Bob Davenport sing and he wrote songs around what he'd, he'd sung. He heard Nigel Denver sing and he's, he wrote songs around what he heard there, some of which came from Dominic Bean. He was just influenced by anybody and anything. Nigel used to sing this uh, song that was a, tr uh, a translation from the Gaelic. It was a really dramatic piece and it was uh, one of the songs that were in the collection of uh, Kennedy Fraser. Kennedy, Marjorie Kennedy Fraser. And what she did was uh, take Hebridean work songs and she'd change the shape of them and translate them. And they were very dramatic. Kishmore's Galley, that's the one. He, he wrote, a, wrote a version of that. I never got, never got to hear it, but uh, others did. There was this fantasy that, that appeared later on that he employed three or four people to go and sit in the audience and, and record all the songs so that, so that he could have them which was a lot of nonsense. He, he had a fabulous memory. He would just go home. He, he, he would go, go back to his room in the, wherever the hotel was and would write down the songs that he had heard, what he could remember of the ones that really impressed him. And sometimes, sometimes he produced great songs out of that. It was homeward bound And I thought it true Concerning Franklin And his gallant crew With a hundred seamen He sailed away To the frozen ocean in the month of May To seek that passage around the pole Where we poor sailors Do sometimes go Oh, 
hardship saves mended gold. His ship on the mountains of ice was drowned. One at the Eskimo in his skin canoe was the only one who ever came through. In Baffin Bay, where the whalefish blow, The fate of Franklin, no man may know. The fate of Franklin, no tongue can tell. The Lord of Franklin, along with his sailors, do dwell. Now my burden, it gives me pain For my long lost Franklin hide across the main Ten thousand pounds would I freely give To no one that my Franklin do live. The strap line behind the tour that you've got with John Wilkes is remember to one who lives there, which uh, you mentioned Scarborough Fair yeah. earlier. So, I, I mean, I, given that, I have to ask you about Paul Simon. Is it true that he rented uh, your flat? Ha, yeah, he, he did, actually. But what, what happened when uh, Dorothy and I moved out of 184 Haverstock Hill moved into a flat which was five guineas a week course was a luxury it was a smashing little flat right at right at the top of the house the view out of the window was astonishing you see Hampstead is up on a hill she did right across to uh, crystal palace astounding yeah paul moved into into at one point we we moved out of our great big room in 184 Hammerstock hill and we moved downstairs into the landlord's flat he just gave us that for exactly the same it had it was the room with a kitchen and a toilet well hey we had our own loo yippee and then when i moved out of that paul took it over he had the basement flat in 184 haverstock hill i don't know how long he stayed there when dorothy and i moved into our nice five guineas a week flat he came visiting with with our garfunkel he had his head head in the air and he was singing something to himself and i fancy that what he was singing because they were learning scarborough fair they did a recording of it and what art garfunkel was was making up at the time i'm guessing i don't know but he was on another planet he was somewhere else and he hadn't been smoking anything i don't think he did that that sort of stuff when they recorded it it was scarborough scarborough fair Stroke Canticle or something. Canticle, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Scarborough Fair Stroke Canticle. He was writing the Canticle. And when the the whole shooting match was stolen, Paul, Paul never never stole anything. 
And I went along with this nonsense that he'd stolen my Scarborough Fair, which he hadn't, which is very... allowed myself to think I'd been victimised. And uh, nah, if I had, it, was, it wasn't, certainly wasn't by Paul mm. or Art. No, what he did was a, was a tribute. And I listened, I listened to, to, to what he did. And it was What he was doing is actually an impression of what I'd, I'd done. And very classy stuff. You know, good luck to him. But uh, I allowed myself to, to believe that, uh, that he nicked it, which was very, very stupid of me. <laughs> it was. But he was never nasty about it. He was always very friendly about it. Are you mad at me? And I said, well, I was. But then I got... <laughs> I said, I actually found myself thinking about the thing I'd started to call the trudge through the grudge. <laughs> Mark Anderson is the man who taught Scarborough Fair to Ewan McCall and changed the tune. The tune that, that he sang, sang it to, the tune that I sang, was written by Ewan because he always wanted the songs that he collected to have a great tune. The, the Anderson family still regards Scarborough Fair as their song. And great, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I made one huge mistake. I should have known better, but I allowed myself to be tricked into signing a piece of paper which actually signed the ownership of Scarborough Fair over to music publishers, both of whom are dead. So Paul Simon probably made nothing out of Scarborough Fair, but Art Garfunkel will have made some money out of the canticle, and good for him. Paul came over in 1998, and one of the reasons he constructed the tour the, the way he did is because he wanted to, to repair some relationships that had gone wrong because of misunderstandings. And some of the misunderstandings were generated by him and some by others. He, he was very happy that he'd repaired everything. He was a good man. Rosemary on time 
to sow it all along with one peppercorn. And then she'll be a true love of mine. Tell her to reap it with a sickle of leather. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, and to thresh it all out with a bunch of heather, and then she'll be a true love of mine. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? Honestly, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Remember me to one who lives there. For once she was a true love of mine. I must ask you about your early solo albums, especially the the collaborations with uh, Dave Swarbrick. And uh, there's a song on uh, one of those early albums, Prince Heaven. That's a song where you, I think you changed the ending of that, didn't you? I did. Yeah, because it was the first time I'd ever changed something and decided that it was, I changed it because it was wrong. What I was presented with in the book, the things about a lot of the repertoire that we've got, England that is, is that at the end of some of the most disgusting behaviour, you know, people get married and live happily ever after and keep white mice. And that ain't the truth. And there's a few, a few people have tried uh, sort of kicking it around a bit and uh, doing something that's less uh, creepy. Yes, I did change the end, and, and I was glad to have done it. And I've, uh, it was one of the big moments of my, uh, of my understanding of tradition. Tradition is a really mobile thing. It can take absolutely anything. Any change you want to make, it can take. And sometimes it's uh, it produces the goods, I think. And you make, didn't make any claim. All, I, all I've ever claimed was trad arranged because I thought it was the right thing to do. Don't claim to have written anything except big chunks of famous flower. But that happened. That was given to me. And I was t- t- trying to... Uh, Make, make something work that would make the four and a half verses that I had of the song, plus a few little single verses that were dotted throughout what I had. You know, it's uh, magic, just like magic. That's why I love tradition so much. And I, I would love to think one day that I've got an understanding of it. That hasn't happened yet. Well. Some pieces, well, bits and pieces. Some may disagree. Well, thank you, but uh, I'll keep keep at it.
stands in a garden fair sewing a silken seam and by and come this princey then and he vowed her love he'd gain oh lady will you weep for me lady tell me true or never yet you heathen dog and never shall for you she turned her around and aloud did cry begone i love not you and then he vowed him princey then that she would weep full sore oh lady will you weep for me lady tell me true or never yet you heathen dog and never shall for you so he's laid her all on the ground between himself and the wall and there he stripped her of her will and a maiden head and all oh lady will you weep for me lady tell me true or never yet you heathen dog and never shall for you Oh, I killed your father in his bed and your mother by his side And seven brothers one by one I drowned them in the tide Oh, lady, will you weep for me? Lady, tell me true Or never yet you heathen dog and never shall for you in a vault of stone with thirty locks upon and meat nor drink you'll never get till your baby it is born oh lady will you weep for me lady tell me true or never yet you heathen dog and never shall for you so he's laid her in a vault of stone with thirty locks upon and he's taken the key in his right hand to the mountain he has gone oh lady will you weep for me lady tell me true Yet you heathen dog and never shall for you From the mountains came with his merry men all in a line And he sought out this pretty young girl all down in a vault of stone Oh, how do you do and do you weep? Lady, tell me true Ah, never weeping heathen dog but dying here for you Oh, meat nor drink you'll never get nor out of prison come Ah, meat nor drink you'll never get till your baby it is born Oh, lady, will you weep for me? Lady, tell me true Ah, never yet you heathen dog, and never shall for you. And she laboured down, but lighter she could not be. Oh, lady, will you weep for me? Lady, tell me true. Oh, never yet you heathen dog, and never yet for you. 
so he's taken her all on the green And his merry men stood all around And now they laughed and now they mocked As she brought forth her son Oh lady, will you weep for me? Lady, tell me true Oh never yet you keep and dog And never shall for you Cries all from Prince Heathen's hand. Ah, never a drop, Prince Heathen cries, till ye wrap up your son. Oh, lady, will you weep for me? Oh, lend to me a silken shawl or a blanket or a sheet, that I may wrap this little baby that lies in my arms asleep. Oh, lady, will you weep for me? An old horse blanket to wrap him head and feet And there she took it in her hands So bitter she did weep Oh lady, do you weep for me? Lady, tell me true Ah, oh, never yet you heathen dog And never now for you Could you not give any better thing Than a horse blanket and a sheet To wrap and swaddle your own young son That lies in my arms asleep So very soft, he's borne her up so slow He's laid her all in a soft green bed So dear, he loved her now Oh, lady, will you weep for me? Lady, tell me true Oh, never yet you heathen dog And never shall for you that you collaborated on that wasn't one of yours but is one of my favorites and that's uh, lyle and mike watson's bright phoebus oh yeah what was the background and your involvement with that lp because that's uh an album that's critically revered now by many artists it was it was received with contempt at the time sure. by everybody well that, not quite every there were certain people who actually understood the watson's way of working lyle and mike had been writing songs because, well, partly because they, they missed Norma, who was away for th- three and a half years, four years, three and a half, certainly, getting on for four years in Montserrat, working as a DJ. She'd gone over there to get married and discovered when she got there that the person she was going to marry was, was married. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Not. So she, uh, she stayed on and... Um, worked for the radio station. Yeah, Radio Antilles. She was in touch with the family. Meantime, I was uh, on the loose with Swarb, and then Swarb and I broke up because he went and joined Fairport. And I was was solo and uh, loving it. But I did spend some time. I would occasionally go up to Hull, and I'd uh, either stay with Mike or with Lau. One time when I was staying in Laos, she sang me some of the songs that she'd been writing. I was absolutely thunderstruck. The words, one called 
never the same, which was, I wouldn't believe my ears. And I got, I got back there and said, you're coming up again fairly soon. When I said, Lau said, I said, yeah, I just think that uh, we should do something about this. I don't know quite what. And I went and, and I think I was, I might still have been in Steeleye. Right. But it was, it was all around that time, um, Steeleye or not Steeleye. And I spoke to Ashley about it. And Ashley's go-to event was got to make an album. He'd already made a couple of albums away from Steeleye. And one of them was that thing, No Roses, which he did with, um, with Shirley Collins. Fabulous album, brilliant production. And I just uh, went and said, Lala Mike. And I heard a couple of the songs that Mike had sung as well. But he never sang them in public. And Lala never sang hers in public. She also wrote poetry. I knew she wrote poetry, but I didn't know she actually wrote songs. And I just said to I said to Ashley, these songs are just astonishing. And he said, we need to make an album. Leave it with me. I'll have a, I'll have a chat with the lads. <laughs> By which he meant Fairport. Dave Mattex and Richard and himself and me and Bob Davenport later on. It's absolutely fabulous. And I used to go, go up and spend days with, with Mel working out the chord sequences of, of what she was doing uh, because she had a very weird way of playing the guitar. She had the, the chord that she needed in her head. So she played this major weird guitar in a major weird tune. Major, <laughs> everything was major weird. And I would try different things. Just, oh, that's lovely. And I said, okay, let's move on. No, 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 that's, it's, it's wrong, but it's beautiful. So come, try again. And then uh, the result was this fantastic arrangement that I did from what she was playing. And then that lovely string arranger. Oh, you're thinking of Robert Kirby? He's the string arranger, yes. Robert Kirby. He was just stunned by this arrangement. I just remember him. There was one moment in it where he just looked up at me and went, Schubert. I said, really? He said, oh, that, that moment is pure. It's, it's one moment during Never the Same. That's Schubert. Wow. I mean, just the whole team got together to do that record. And we spent a week doing it in May, just working on it beforehand. And I left it, it at the very end of 71, I left Steel Eye and then spent lots of time hightailing it up to Hull to sit with Val or sit with Mike and work out what, what they were doing. And then Norma and I got married because Norma had come back in the meantime and uh, we'd connected, <laughs> connected up after 11 years. <laughs> we fell in love at first sight but she was married and I wasn't. The next time we met up, I was married and she wasn't. So I, and my then wife spotted it one time. We walked into a room in Tesla Sharp House and one end of the, this long, long room, Norma was sat with the Watersons. And as I walked through the door, I looked up and saw her and, uh, and she blushed. I could feel Dorothy, my then wife, stiffening and said, what she said, and I said, nothing's happened. She said, well, something's happened to her. Because she said, I saw her face and I thought, and I looked at your face and I thought, hello. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lovely time. We got, the album was finished at the very end of May and Norma and I got married on June the 20th. Or was it the 21st? Johnny can't play Rosemary sitting. Shower of rain 
a series of fantastic albums in the 70s and uh it's hard to pick out a song out of those but geordie out of uh, crown of horn that was a song that i think you'd had around for quite a while but it took you a while to record it i'd learned it from john pierce back in oh god it was my my signature piece for years of uh, 62 61 62 it was uh and i'd never recorded it because i regarded it as john pierce's song and in his way of playing the guitar I'd learned the whole thing and later on when I I rethought it and then rethought it again yeah I, I decided to have a go at it and I, I I like that version I do but I also did a gypsy version which I love so I'm I'm torn I like what musically happened in that version that you're talking about yeah I'm very fond of it Of a London bridge on a misty morning early, 
I overran a fair pretty maid who cried for the life of a Geordie. Come bridle to me a milk white steed, bridle me a pony. I'll ride down to London town and I'll plead for the life of me Geordie. For he never stole ox, he never stole ass, he never burned any. He stole sixteen of the king's wild deer, he sold them in a wetnik. But when she rode down and in the king's hall there were lords and ladies plenty. Down on a bennet knee she fall and she begged for the life of a Geordie. Cries six pretty babes I had by him. Another one lies in me body. Freely and part with each one of them if you'll give me the life of me Geordie. For he never stole ox, he never stole ass, he never burned any. He stole sixteen of the king's wild deer, he sold them in a wedding. But the judge looked over his left shoulder, he cries, I'm sorry for thee. My pretty fair maid, you come too late, for he's been condemned already. Oh, my Geordie shall hang in a chain of gold, such chains as never was any. Because he came of the royal blood and he courted a fine young lady. Oh, he never stole ox, he never stole ass, he never murdered any. He stole sixteen of the king's wild deer, he sold them in a wedding. Oh, I wish I had you in yonder grove, where times I have been many. With my broadsword and a pistol, to I'd fight you for the life of me, Geordie. For he never stole ox, he never stole ass, he never murdered any. He stole sixteen of the king's wild deer, he sold them in a wedding. There's one final song I wanted to ask you, so I thought I'd cover something from the last decade or so, and that's uh, your version with Eliza of uh, Bonnie Morhen from The Moral of the Elephant. Oh, yeah. Well, that was from a recording that Alan Lomax made in 1952 or four. I changed the tune. The tune was um, it's Villikins and His Diner, but I, I just, uh, just needed a better tune. It's bloody cheeky, but uh, there we are. That's what I did. The singer was Mark Anderson. He was a former lead miner up in, up in Weardale. Ewan met him when he was out on the road uh, with, with Theatre Workshop. And uh, the Theatre Workshop were an astonishing company. And Ewan also did a bit of collecting when, when he was up that way because no collectors had been that way. Well, there's all this music up there and nobody went to look. 
Ewan went and uh, on one occasion he took Alan Lomax with him because Alan Lomax had uh, fled the USA along with a lot of other people yeah. of a left-wing persuasion because the Un-American Activities Committee, the House Un-American Activities Committee were breaking their own laws by destroying people's careers. There's all sorts of amendments to the US Constitution, which expressly forbids the House Un-American Activities Committee to exist. <sighs> Awful. And a lot of sensible people refused to, to, to take the Fifth Amendment because what I'm doing is not a crime. But a lot of people lit out from America because this man, the senator from Wisconsin, Senator Joseph McCarthy. I feel we've only skirted the surface, Martin, but that, that's why people need to get along to your, your shows with uh, John Wilkes. And I think uh, they start from the 20th of October onwards up into December. Yeah. So thank you very much. It's my pleasure. And uh, it's, it's been incredibly exciting for me to have done something like this. I'm just so happy and so proud to have been involved in a thing like this, to, to be paid to learn about the, 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 the traditions, traditional music and song that's still being found. Well, thank you so much, Martin. It's been a privilege to hear you um, share your memories. It's my, it's my pleasure. Thank you. You take care. You too. Thank you very much for doing this. Bye-bye. A widow like pray lend an ear An account of the battle you quickly shall hear Fought by the miners and widow you can Claiming their right to the bonnie moorhen Now this bonnie moorhen as she plainly appeared Belonged to the miners some hundreds of years The miners and widow they're all gallant men They'll fight till they die for their bonnie moorhen now the miners and weirdale, they're bred to the game Level their piece and make sure of their aim When the pony moorhen she mounts up in the air They will bring her down deeply, I vow and declare Now times being hard, provisions being dear The miners were starving, almost we do care They don't to depend on so well in they can But to make what they could of their money Men of Auckland and Durham the same Lay claim to them more and likewise to the game Sent word to the miners they'd have them to can They would stop them from shooting the bully nor hand Now this word was carried to with Elvis speed It made those poor miners to hang down their heads Sent them an answer they'd have them to can They would fight till they die for their bonnie moorhen When this word it reached all those gentlemen's ears An army was risen as quickly appears Lance tooth, bomb bailiffs and gamekeepers too Were all ordered to Weirdale to fight their way through Now a captain was wanted at the head 
in the clan H.Y. of Great Auckland was choosed for the man His legs were too short and not fit for the stocks And his head not so hard for to suffer the knocks This captain he had an attack of his own Taught by her master was very well known Either beggars or tinkers she pull off their bags And if that would not do she would ride them to rags Now this army set out straight away as we hear H.Y. in the front, attack dog in the rear They marched on to Walsingham and they made a halt Concerning the battle began to consult For they heard that the miners grand army was strong And the captain that led them was full six foot long It put H.Y. in the bodily fear And back to Great Auckland he wished for to steer Heart spake the gamekeepers cheer up never fear Through stand-up, through weird the way we will clear In Torum or Auckland we'll never have said Goodbye a few miners our army was beat Now this battle was fought, fought in stand-up town Where the chimneys did reek and the sword it fell down Such a battle was never fought in stand-up before And I hope such a battle will never be fought more For they unhorsed the riders straightway on the plain H.Y. and his attack dog in the battle was slain Them that ran fastest got pushed out the town And away they went home with their toes hanging down how the bonnie Mohan, she's got feathers and you Many fine colours and none of them blue The miners are weird down, they're all gallant men They'll hunt till they die for their bonnie Mohan for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the home page thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.